So why has this happened? Why has the coronavirus happened? You know the statistics. I was checking them this morning. 188 countries have been affected. 320,000 people have been infected. And over 13,000 people have been killed by this disease. And then there's the travel restrictions. There's the way that teachers and students have all been sent home. There's businesses that have been closed, the, the bars, the restaurants, uh, gyms, and other businesses that have been closed because people gather there. And then there's the jobs that have been affected because of those closings and um, so forth. Some people have, have their jobs at risk, and a lot of people have already been laid off. So why has this happened? And, and what about the, the investments? Those of us with, with retirement um, accounts, if you've got a 401k or something, you probably have been wise to not watch the stock market this past week because uh, we don't want to think about what's been going on there. And even when there's been good news, even when there has been some good news, um, it comes with a price tag. Uh, the, the administration and Congress have worked together in a bipartisan fashion to to craft legislation to deal with this crisis, but they've, they're spending $2 trillion, and we know that that bill will come due eventually. Why has this disaster happened? Well, if you're a person uh, who, who does not um, believe in God, uh, the answer is that that's a dumb question. There is no why. There just is. Um, the coronavirus just is. It's a virus. It, it doesn't have an explanation. It just is something that is part of the evolutionary landscape, that it's been moving its way for three and a half billion years, and we've been moving our way, and uh, periodically we come together in times like this. And so there's not a question of is. There's just a how or a what. There, isn't, there is no why. There's, there's only how and what. And there are things people can do to make things better when they do come together, or make them worse. But there's no why. There's no why to explain this. That uh, we, it, It's part of the way the world works. We, we've all heard of the, the, the um, idea of chaos theory and the butterfly effect, the idea that uh, a butterfly flapping its wings in China last, last week caused the tornadoes in Tennessee. We've heard that. This is kind of the coronavirus effect, the idea that somebody eating a bowl of bat soup or having a pangolin sandwich in China four months ago is somehow the the result of uh, or, or the the cause of all the chaos that has brought the world to its knees. That's the answer of uh, perspective of of people who have no no faith in God. And if that's your perspective, it's not my it's not my job to argue with you. I'm, I'm sure you're a smart person and you've come to that for good reasons. But I want to ask you this. Wouldn't you like to hear what Jesus has to say? Just just as a piece of data, wouldn't you like to know what Jesus would say if we asked him that question, if we asked him, why has this disaster occurred? And maybe you say, I already know, because Christians have told me the answer. The answer is that God is judging people for what they've done wrong, that this is God's judgment. And maybe Christians have told you that. And so you think that's what Jesus' answer would be. But how about if we listen to Jesus himself? And if you're a Christian, if you are a believer, then maybe you'd like to hear what Jesus has to say too. When people ask him that question, why did this disaster occur? So in our reading, our reading is in um, uh, chapter 13 of Luke's uh, biography of Jesus. And um, 
in chapter 12, Jesus has been talking about judgment. He's been one of those people who talks about how God judges people. But it, the, the chapter, chapter 12 is, is, a, is a lesson for another day. But in it, Jesus is saying that God cares about his children. God cares about the trajectory of our lives. He cares about uh, when we drive our life into a ditch. And he cares about it, especially if there's other people in our car as we go into the ditch. God cares when we hurt each other. God cares when we hurt ourselves. So Jesus has been talking about judgment in chapter 12. And when he does that, we read, as we pick up the story in chapter 13, uh, we read um, the that there were some present. Jesus has an audience as he's talking. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So what what does that mean? So it's a complicated sentence. It's kind of not good good English, or at least not what my way of speaking English. But he says he says there were some people in the audience who told Jesus about the Galileans. Who are the Galileans? The Galileans are are pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem for the religious festival that's taking place. So they've come from out of town, they've come to the temple, and they were going to offer sacrifices there. But when they tried to do that, something happened. And we don't know what it was. It's lost to history, but what apparently happened is Pilate decided to kill them. Who is Pilate? Pilate was the Roman governor of the area around Jerusalem. And so maybe there was a riot, maybe there was some kind of a disturbance, and in order to to pacify everybody, he just had a bunch of people killed. So this audience is saying, saying, yeah, we know all about judgment. Uh, there were some people here from Galilee, and God judged them by having, he used, he used Pilate to judge them. He didn't like what they were doing, and so he judged them that way. And Jesus says, oh, really, that's what you think. Jesus says, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? I'm from Galilee, and I don't think so. There's lots of worse sinners in Galilee. Jesus is saying these were not the worst sinners in Galilee, and it's not fair to them to say that the reason that they were killed was God's judgment. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. What does repent mean? Repent means to change your mind. Quit thinking the way you're thinking. Don't assume that you can decide who is or is not uh, subject to God's judgment. He says, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18, he says, as long as we're playing blame the victim, how about this? What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were from worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? So he says, he says, those people from out of town, you didn't know them, but you were very quick to assume that they were the worst people around and that's why God judged them. But how about the locals? How about the people, your neighbors, who were just standing there when this tower of Siloam collapsed? And again, we don't know the details of this. It's lost to history except in the New Testament accounts. But Jesus says, hey, other people have been hurt too. Are you going to say that they were also um, somehow at fault, that they were, they were being judged by God? He says, he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. So Jesus says, says, um, don't be quick to cast blame at other people. Don't, don't just assume that you know what's going on in other people's lives. So he says, don't do that. And then what he follows this with is a parable to drive his point home. So he says this, he tells them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his gar- in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, For three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And the gardener replies, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. 
If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So the parable says that that sometimes you have to um, you have to judge things. So this this fig tree um, is not producing fruit. It's wasting space in the vineyard. He could put a, some grapevines there or a new fig tree. He says, cut it down. Let's start all over again. So what what that that person represents is the the one hand of God. Yes, as as Jesus said in chapter 12, God does care about our lives. He cares about our lives and he cares about how we treat other people. God cares about all of his children. He doesn't want to see us uh, when the trajectory of our life is is off off course. He doesn't um, want to ignore that. So he says there will be an accounting. God cares about what we do with our lives. But then there's an other hand. God um, also, uh, the, the other part is the, the gardener who says, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Jesus tells this parable to say, say yes, God does care about our lives, but God is quick to delay. That there will be a judgment, but it will not be today. That God, if there's any way that God can can stretch things out, if God can drag His feet, if God can get up late that day, if God can can uh, give any grace, God will. He says that God will not just sleep in, but God will actually get up early and go to work and do some extra things. God will will invest extra effort to help people get their life back on track. He says, if it bears fruit next year. Worry about judgment then. But he says, right now, let's do what we can to work this out. So Jesus says that there won't be judgment today. There will be judgment someday. God delights to delay judgment. And then we see the opposite side of this. Instead of a parable, something happens. Jesus is teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. So she's been, she's been in this situation for 18 years. And Jesus is the guest preacher that day in the synagogue. He shows up, he sees her, and he doesn't say, hmm, that woman keeps coming back. Maybe someday I'll deal with her. No, as soon as Jesus sees her, as soon as Jesus sees her, he calls her over and says, woman, you are set free from her ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up and began praising God. Jesus is illustrating with a miracle that God is slow to judge, but quick to heal. God is in no hurry to effect judgment, but God is impatient to bring healing and hope to the world. And then comes the leader of the synagogue, who actually makes this point in a different way. He says, he says, um, it says the synagogue leader is indignant because Jesus had cured in the Sabbath and kept saying to the crowd, there's six days on which to be, uh, on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. He says, he says, you don't want to heal, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to do miracles on the Sabbath day because that's a special day that's set apart for God. But the Lord answered him. And you may notice that this time, uh, Luke calls him the Lord instead of Jesus. <laughs> the Lord answers him and says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from his manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. Jesus says, 
that the, the, the woman is liberated in the same way that the ox or the donkey is, that the ox or donkey are untied so they can have water, and the woman is liberated from this, this uh, ailment that has, that has held her prisoner. Jesus is saying that there are two kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. And that every act of mercy, every sign of grace is actually an act of liberation. A little bit of territory is taken from the kingdom of the world. It is liberated and incorporated into the kingdom of God. Jesus says every single act of grace is an act of liberation. And when he said this, the opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing in all the wonderful things he was doing. So what would Jesus say about the coronavirus? If we could ask Jesus today, what's up with the coronavirus? Well, first of all, what we might do is what people did in this story. We might say, those people got coronavirus because God is judging them. They eat the wrong food, or they're from the wrong country, or they've got an incompetent uh, government, or whatever it is. We might be quick to blame them and say it's their fault. And Jesus says, you know, it's not that simple. Jesus actually says, no, I tell you. It's interesting. Jesus says, says, you know, uh, the, the old language was, verily, verily, I say unto you. Um, in today's language, Jesus says, no, I tell you. He denies that explicitly. And then he says, I tell you, so pay attention. And then he does it a second time. He says, no, I tell you. So Jesus is saying, don't think that way. Repent. Change your mind about that way of thinking. That's not the way God is. And in fact, one of the things you can do is instead of uh, seeing things that way, what you can do is say, I wonder how I sh- could change. If it were me in that position, what would I do differently? And we can ask God, help me understand how my life is not on the proper trajectory. Help me understand what I can do to avoid uh, driving my life into a ditch. So the first thing we can do is instead of casting blame, we can look inward and say, how can I be different? The second thing Jesus would tell us is to be slow to judge. God is slow to judge. We can be slow to judge. There will come a judgment. God cannot ignore it when we hurt other people. God doesn't even want us to hurt our own lives because he's a father. He loves us. There will be judgment, but it is not today. Today, he says, is a time for grace. So we can be slow to judge, as the parable showed us, and we can be quick to free, to, to, to heal, to bring help uh, healing and hope, we can we can be quick to do those things because that's what God is like. And I think this is especially pertinent now because a lot of us are our, our lives have been disrupted. We're not doing the things we do at work or at school. Uh, everything is different. We're at home. We're with people we love, um, but they're getting on our nerves, and we're anxious. We see what's going on in the stock market and and in the economy, and we're thinking, "Will I even have a job to go back to when this is over?" This is a great time to be slow to judge and quick to forgive. This is a wonderful time to do that. But we can do more than that. We can actually bring hope. One of the ways we can bring, bring hope in a time of social distancing is we can, we can call up people. We can, we can call them on the phone. We can send them a text message. We can stay engaged with them on social media. And again, on social media, what we can do is we can be a sign of hope. Anybody can complain. I mean, bring up Facebook. Uh, bring up Twitter. It's no problem to find complaining. But can we be signs of hope? Can we point to the God who who can can ultimately bring liberation and incorporate the world into his kingdom? So we can reach out. Um, 
what we can all do, of course, is to help flatten the curve. We can comply with the guidance that is being directed to us by our government, by the CDC, by the governor, by everybody else. Uh, we can stay home. We can do those things. We can wash our hands all the time. I was just touching the table and thinking, um, I hope it got sprayed earlier. Um, we can do the things that they're telling us to do. We can self-isolate. That's, that's an easy thing to do. And when we do that, we're helping to take care of other people. And so do that. But while you're self-isolating, see what you can do to stay engaged with other people by phone or text or other technology. And if you are young and healthy, if you're not in one of the uh, at-risk groups, there may be things you can do. Maybe you work in a in a, a vital business, you're a nurse or a doctor or something like that, then yes, uh, do those things. Uh, do the things you need to do. If you're, if you're making N95 masks, don't stop. But there's other things you can do. If, if you're, if you're young and healthy, go donate blood. That's an easy thing to do. Um, uh, volunteer at the food pantry. We did that last week for the first time. We did it as a, as a kind of takeaway service, which we haven't done before. Um, but there's things we can do to, to be the church. Jesus called the church to be salt and light. He said that we should give the world a distinctly Christian flavor. And he said we should shine God's love into dark times. So let's be the church. Let's be slow to blame others and quick to look inward for opportunities to improve. Let's be slow to judge and let's be quick to bring hope and healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus did not explicitly address the coronavirus, but he told us what to do in a disaster. He told us how to look at disasters, how to look at the people who've been hurt by disasters. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn from his teaching and to uh, shine his light into the world around us. Uh, We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.